Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the hashtag no judgment podcast, the podcast for real moms by real moms. Guys, today we have a really great interview. I am speaking with the host of the Reality Life with Kate Casey podcast, Ms. Kate Casey herself. I have been a longtime fan of hers and listened to her podcast since the beginning. It's a really fun show, guys. She has not only the different characters from different reality shows on her podcast, but also non-reality watchers. She'll have them come on, watch a reality show, and then review and discuss it, which is really hilarious. Besides her podcast, Kate is also a weekly contributor to Us Weekly's Fashion Police. She has a blog, loveandknuckles.com. You can also hear her on the Jenny McCarthy Show on Sirius XM Channel 109 during the current bachelor slash bachelorette seasons. She is their special bachelor correspondent. And most importantly, she is a mom. Kate is a mom to five little ones. We talk about parenting and how she navigates that herself. We also get into a little bit about childhood and her professional background. It's really interesting. Kate is someone who I look up to both professionally and personally, and I hope you guys enjoy the conversation. Before we get into talking with Kate, I want to take a moment again and thank all of you guys who are listening, subscribing, telling all your friends and family about it. We really appreciate it. Again, if you could please subscribe, give us a five-star rating and review, we would really appreciate it. And actually, we have a really fun contest coming up. So here's how it works. For the next 50 listeners who give us a rating and review on iTunes, Take a screenshot of your rating and review. DM us the picture on Instagram. We are at no judgment pod. The next 50 listeners who do that, you guys will all receive a hashtag no judgment travel wipes holder. It's just a little way that we can say thank you to you guys. As you know, it really does help the podcast grow. So don't forget to tell your friends and family again. And let's get into it with Kate. Kate, thank you so much for coming on today. Really appreciate it. I found you actually through a girlfriend of mine a long time ago sent me one of your posts on Instagram. I think it was like the Gwyneth one in the grocery store. Oh, yeah. And um, and then, I don't know, somehow I, I think I followed you on Facebook or Instagram or something and that's how I saw you had a podcast. Oh, and so I started listening to your podcast and I just recently have sent you uh, the 90 Day Fiance people and, the, um, and then you had Stephanie on, which – we were just talking about on my podcast about depression and mental health issues and stuff like that, which I found really interesting. So that was really I'm cool. Surprised. I'm surprised how many people talk about mental health things in my interviews. It's, it's, I always feel like people tell me stuff. Uh, it's been like that my whole life where people just feel comfortable to tell me things. Yeah. Well, I think you're, you, you have a very like calm demeanor and it's almost like, almost like talking to a therapist, I think. Like, it's not intimidating, you know? Oh, thank you. That's nice to say that. Um, I, I, it always surprises not only myself, but my husband when people say that. He's like, who are they talking about? Because sometimes <laughs> people say, you have just such a calm vibe, or um, you seem so balanced. And my husband's like, are they talking about the same person? Because then you, I like, I cut in my mind, I cut to myself at home screaming at my children. So right. it's like, what? I do think that, um, 
I figured out over the years that when I was growing up, I was one of four girls and I never got any attention at all. So I had to be funny to get attention right. or I had to um, like, I don't know, throw a fit or cry or something. Yeah. So I think that I, I always struggled as a kid to get attention and recognition so that I feel like I owe it to everybody of the world to give them the attention and recognition they desire, like they desire or, you know, that they need. Right. So when I'm talking to somebody, I want them to feel like I'm totally devoted to them and listen, you know, I, I'm giving them my full attention Yeah, because yeah. it drives me nuts. Even today, if I'm talking to my husband and he is like checks his phone or mid discussion. So I, I, I get conversations and I can't get, sometimes I can't get out of them because I just get fully locked into my conversation with somebody and I want to make sure that they feel like, I have all my, all my attention is on them. Right. Like you're, you're totally involved and invested. Yes. Yeah. No, I totally get that. I have the same thing. It's something that, I, you know, I've heard you talk about a little bit on your podcast and other podcasts. Um, I think maybe was it you were on Aliza's podcast. Maybe that's where yeah. I heard you um, talk about it was that, yeah, and I have the same thing. Like I have, abandonment issues and I my mother is I mean that's another story but she's borderline narcissistic and I my dad traveled all the time when I was for business and so I have the same thing like I I get really annoyed like if my husband and I are at dinner and he same thing looks at his phone I'm like why are you paying attention to me because I'm always like it's that like deeply rooted thing where I'm like I I still feel like that 10 year old whose dad promised like I'm gonna be at your birthday party and then like didn't show up you know I feel like it's like it always kind of brings you back to that. It's yeah. It's like you're more cognizant. I feel like I get, um, I get upset, but I don't, I don't show it. If, um, (laughs) if I'm talking to a friend and their child comes up and interrupts us, it bothers me, but I never show it because if I'm talking to an adult and my, my kids know, do not interrupt me. If I'm in a conversation with an adult, you can come up and say, excuse me, mom, to just walk up and start talking really irritates me because as I explained to them, that adult really needs to tell me something. So if you come up and interrupt them, they can't finish what they're saying and it might upset them if there's something bothering them, or maybe they're trying to give me information that's really important I mean, I go through this whole thing with the kids so they know, you know, don't interrupt with unless you, you say, you know, excuse me, mom. So right. and, uh, it's all it all everything comes back to your childhood for sure. For sure. Yeah. I know. I joke about that with with my therapist because I'm like, I'm like, so what deeply rooted issue are we going to talk about today? But yeah, it totally does. So I'm interested, like how I, how you, I don't know, just, I mean, just from an observational point, I see like your children seem very well behaved. I know all kids have their issues, but um, like, how have you, how do you think that's shaped you as a mother, like being like cognizant of these things? And are you like, do you make special efforts to be more, I don't know, invested in like certain things or I don't Hmm. know, do you catch things like that? Um, Hmm. Let me think. Well, I think that when I was growing up, despite there was like a lot of dysfunction in the home, my mom, my mom 
was a stickler about manners, yeah. about grammar, manners, and um, yeah. So those two things were really important. So we never really acted out. Um, she kind of cracked the whip. Mm-hmm. So I probably carry that into my own parenting, that manners are incredibly important. I make the kids write thank you notes. Um, interrupting, I don't let them do that. You know, um, they they just can't be wild in front of me. I don't know. I think that th- my mom did a great job that way. So right. I, sister's kids are not wild either. So I probably, part of that I carry for my own childhood. And also when you have five kids, you really have to control the chaos. Right. There's just some kind of order. The rule from the top. So I, 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 if somebody says to me, oh, your kids are really well behaved, I always qualify it with, well, that's probably because I'm so mean. <laughs> but I kind of am. I mean, I really do crack the whip. And I carpool with another family. And the other mom always says, oh, my kids are definitely afraid of you. Um, in fact, my sister in New Jersey has older kids. And she has called me throughout their childhood and said, put me on speakerphone and said, can you talk to the kids? Because they're terrified of me, too. Oh, my gosh. I just so feel funny. like when my mother was angry with us, it was the tone that she used that scared mm-hmm. the shit out of me. Right. And I probably do the same. And then sometimes I, I joke that I should do a tutorial on mean mom voice because I think <laughs> – 75% of moms just, they have nice voice. Like my sister, she might scream at her kids, but she still has uh, a nice tone to her voice. Right. If she's mad at them. It's like she's yelling at them, but there's no intonation. Right. So they don't really get scared. Or yeah. I, my, my neighbor, I always tell her the same thing. Your kids are not scared of you and that's your problem. <laughs> <So> <laughs> the crap out of kids. I think that, um, and that probably goes back to my field hockey and lacrosse days, like just screaming on the field. Yeah. I mean, even when I coached kids before I had children, they were scared of me. In fact, my I met once I had my first child, I met this couple who had a child the same age and they're still dear friends of mine. And the husband is a, a, a therapist for adolescents. And he's actually been on my show. And so I remember I was kind of giving him my background. And he, so he told me he works with adolescents. I said, oh, I used to coach field hockey and lacrosse at the local high school. And I started talking about it. And then he said, wait a minute. Were you there from this period to this period? Yes. Oh, yeah. Some of my patients came in and talked about you. Oh, my God. <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah, because – yeah, he said they were terrified of you. And I think because a lot of them, I grew, you know, I live in this town where some people have stupid wealth and they're just like, it always bothered me that they would, these kids would pull up in the parking lot with a BMW. Right. When I drove, my first car was a Pontiac Phoenix that looked like a couch in the front seat, <laughs> two shades of brown, constantly broke down. And I spent all my spe- spending money from Pizzeria Uno buying used car car parts so I look at those kids and think that sucks for them because while it right. might make them feel like you know the bee's knees driving around town in this mm-hmm. nice car what for their self-esteem what what does that say when you get your first job and you exactly you're always going to compare yourself to what you had in high school right so if you right. make thirty two thousand dollars a year 
how do you feel good about yourself when you go home and your mom had already given you a BMW? You have to work for things in life. You have to start from the bottom and work your way up in order to feel some sort of satisfaction in your success. So, so true. I love that you said that because we were just talking about that. My, um, my husband's niece, well, I guess she's my niece now too, but, um, my husband's niece, she, they live in Calabasas and she goes to Calabasas high school and we were just, we were out to brunch with them last weekend. And I was just, I mean, she's 15 going on like 25 and I was looking at her, you know, take the take her Instagram pictures and all that stuff. And she has like the brand new iPhone that came out and she was talking about, oh, when I get my license and all this stuff. And we, I live across the street from Beverly Hills High School. So I see all of that as well. But I was like, I've been thinking a lot about that lately. Like these kids, like I remember getting the new Nokia phone, like the one that you, you know, clipped the face onto and having to earn that and, you know, having to do certain things to earn that. And this is when I was almost a senior. But and then the contingency being if your grades drop below an A, it gets taken away and all this stuff. And and now like watching his nieces and nephews, they just expect like, oh, we're going to get this new Xbox. When are we going to get it? When am I going to get the newest iPhone? That kind of thing. And I think it's yeah, and I think it's an LA thing and like an Orange County thing. Like, how do you raise kids in that environment where everyone else is just expecting to get these new things? And I don't know. I don't know if it's just an Orange County and LA thing. My sister lives in suburban New Jersey, and it's the same thing there. I don't think it's any different in suburban Philadelphia. I think it's the same all over, all over the place. I think there are many parents who didn't grow up, or you know, didn't grow up. I say you know all the time. I hate that. I think there are people that have grown up with no money and then they've had some, a little bit of success and then they have their own children and they feel like they want to give to their children what they never had. Right. And that's a real slippery slope. You don't have to do that. You really don't have to do that. So I I always say, I, I kind of, everything in our house is about we're a team, we're a team. Mm-hmm. And that trickles down to spending money. So if I buy something for the kids and they break it right away, I remind them, okay, that costs X amount of dollars. That money, you know, is included in the toy fund for our family. So there's less, I can't buy you another one because that would take away from the family fund and that takes away from toys from the other kids. Or if we have to take money from another fund, which is the vacation fund, mm-hmm. that's going to affect where we go on vacation or how long we're going to go. So you really have to take care of your own property and we have to be mindful of things that we buy with that fund. So it's kind of teaching them about money, but also about responsibility and to see spending money in terms of as a family unit and not my mom should just buy it for me because um, I deserve Right, what entitled or whatever, yeah. I, listen, my kids are all pretty young, so we'll see if it ends up working. <laughs> it could be, you know, on crystal math later in life, and you might listen to this interview and, and laugh about it, but um, <laughs> that's what I'm kind of trying to do myself, because I definitely didn't have anything growing up, but I, I don't want to give them too much, Right. but I also don't want them to live, you know, <laughs> live like Oliver from the musical, because that's <laughs> what I had, and, right. and I'm a you know, I feel like I learned a lot of lessons out of life coming from nothing. 
Yeah. Can you talk a little about your – I think your story is like so – I mean, not that you have like a <laughs> saga, but just that your story is so interesting that like you came from the politics world and the and how you – I mean, I feel like your persona now, at least to me, is like, you know, you're this do-it-all mom and all, I just – I think that's interesting that you came from like a totally different world or background. Oh, thanks. Um, it is sort of – I'm working backwards. I think a lot of people start probably start in the entertainment industry and then get burned out and then they do other things and I'm kind of working backwards. So I grew up in the suburbs of Philadelphia and my mom had remarried someone why the time I was three, I had no relationship with my father disappeared from the picture. My stepfather did not enjoy raising someone else's children. And instead of getting a divorce, my mom chose to put my sister and I in a boarding school located in Hershey, Pennsylvania called the Milton Hershey School. The Milton Hershey School was started by Milton Hershey and his wife because they could not have children of their own. So the school owns 72% of the holding stock of the Hershey company, which is Hershey Entertainment, Hershey Foods, etc. So essentially, when you buy a chocolate bar, you're giving an underprivileged child the opportunity to get a free education. You need to qualify with emotional and financial needs. Since my well, first of all, my mom and my stepdad didn't really have any money, but my father was totally out of the picture. Um, I qualified for financial need. And then the emotional need, of course, was that I was living with a stepfather who was basically verbally abusive. So I went to school um, at Milton Hershey when I was in the ninth grade and stayed throughout high school. And then I went on to Trinity College in Washington, D.C. I had always intended on a career in politics, studied political science, worked for several different campaigns during college, and I was also a White House intern. And then once I graduated, I had you know a bunch of stuff in my resume working in politics. So I found a job working for a strategic communications company that represented law firms. Because I wanted to, while I was at the White House, I did press for the White House. Mm-hmm. So I enjoyed the connection of politics and communications journalism. I always really enjoyed three different areas. I enjoyed news, politics, and comedy. And so I I did the political thing, and then I started working for the strategic communications company that represented former lawyers that had gone, or former senators or politicians that had gone back to their law firms. So I started doing that, um, and it was great because it connected the politics and the news. Right. But then it was like I was focusing really on just news because my job was to create media opportunities for lawyers. So let's say I represented a white-collar crime attorney. Mm-hmm. My job was to figure out ways to get them in the news. So I would connect them to a big case in the news and call a reporter and say, for example, I know you're going to be covering the Martha Stewart trial. I have an attorney who can provide insight on the legal implications of the trial, um, how this affects um, directors and officers insurance, or I don't know. That's just kind of an example. And then my hope was to connect them with a reporter from the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, CNBC, etc., and have that reporter interview the attorney and then quote them, and then thereby building up their media portfolio. So my job really was to read the news every day and to figure out ways to get lawyers in front of reporters and for them to get placements in media outlets. So it was kind of a great job because I loved 
I got to read the news every day right. and talk to the every day. And I'm still like that. I, I mean, I read everything. So yeah, that was great. So I felt like that filled that pocket. So I had the political pocket, the news pocket. And then as I started to have children, I really wanted to fill that comedy pocket. And I always, my entire life, life loved television. Loved it. And I loved comedy. I would watch Saturday Night Live when I was like three years old. (laughs) And I would memorize skits. And I am still like that. I watch it every week. I'm obsessed with it. So I really felt this yearning to fill that pocket. So I had my first child and my husband's best friend said, um, you should start writing and you got to write about what you know. Mm-hmm. So my first thing that I wrote about was why do celebrities fake date? <laughs> why do they have relationships that are not, what, what is the reason behind it? So yeah. I wrote like from a publicist perspective, this is why, because I had worked at some point uh, before I started my own firm at 26, I worked in a PR office in Los Angeles uh, beside people who worked in entertainment PR. And I had a ridiculous amount of useless knowledge that would sometimes aid their practice. Yeah. Like someone would say, what is the name of Kelsey Grammer's production company? And then I'd all of a sudden turn, swivel my ch- chair around and say, Gramnet Productions. Like I knew stuff <laughs> that I shouldn't have known. Yeah. Because I work with lawyers. So he said, okay, write what you know. So that was the first one I did. Why would Jake Gyllenhaal pretend to date Reese Witherspoon? Here's why. And then that turned into writing television recaps because by then Real Housewives of Orange County started airing. And so I started writing recaps, but not, not a recap, like, and then this happened and this happened like a telenovela version of what happened on a Real Housewives show. So I started writing about that. And then I kept having kids and I kept writing and then it, I, met Heather McDonald. She wrote, read my recaps and she had me on her podcast. And I think it was on maybe once, I don't know, maybe like two or three times. And then I, I told her I have this great idea for a podcast and she suggested I bring it to the head of the network that she had just joined. She said, oh, you know, I'm, I'm going to go over to, to this new network and I can introduce you to the head of it and mm-hmm. you can get idea. So I went in and pitched my idea and they liked it. And I, that was two years ago. Awesome. So in the meantime, I started doing like us weekly fashion police. I started doing stand up comedy. I wrote a book about pregnancy. So I did a bunch of other things. And so now it's two years later and I have this podcast and I focus on interviewing people that have been on a reality show or are on a reality show. Mm-hmm. And I feature interviews with producers of reality shows and then I have two segments each episode where I ask someone to watch an episode of reality television and then we talk about it so I love that part when you have those so the people that watch the shows oh my gosh it's it cracks me up when you have to watch some of the funniest shows like the littler like TLC shows that's yeah I love that part because I always think about I always think about that like and I think you've said this before too, some people that they almost like talk down about reality TV. They're like, oh God, who watches that? Whatever they, like they're too cerebral for that. And then it's like- They watch it. Exactly. I'm like, you know, it's hidden underneath like all of the, you know, like MSNBC interviews and your like history channel stuff, you know, it's down there. But yeah, I think it's, it's, 
I've talked to a couple of people that have, you know, randomly like, or even my grandfather who is so just, I mean, he's in finance and he's very like old school. And at our rehearsal dinner, I think he said something like they were on a trip or something and he got caught up in an episode of, I don't know which franchise, but one of the Real Housewives, he's like, have you seen this? Like he, it was like this new phenomenon to him and he was like, it's crazy. And just hearing him talk about it, it was like, it was just hilarious. But I love yeah. I, I remember um, Abby Siegel said to me, my my father, Bud, is <laughs> hilarious. He's like a tank, cantankerous guy. He would be great. So I had Bud, her dad, review an episode of the Duggar show where they got married. And it's those kind of interviews that make me laugh so hard because yeah. he's never seen the show before. And he's like, what is this show? Right. That is, right. those, that, I agree with you. Those are my funniest interviews or my friend, Steve, who's uh, one of my dear friends, husbands. He's, I mean, he's a great friend of mine too. And he always has the funniest responses to shows. So I always rope him into watching garbage shows. Yeah. It's, it's great. But that said, I think people do put down reality shows a lot. And like we, like we said, a lot of them are liars and have, you know, a couple shows in their DVR or at least could pontificate on, um, the Kardashians, right? But there are so many fantastic shows on television. So many great reality shows that are not, you know, it's not reality shows cannot be summed up in The Bachelor or right. The Real Housewives of Potomac. Yeah, I mean, there's a whole spectrum. spectrum. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. I'm so glad that you you react that way because. Yeah, it's, it's I have three segments every week, so there are all so many moving parts. Like right now. So it's Wednesday and I'm interviewing somebody in an hour who's my feature interview. And so that interview is with my friend. Um, my, she's one of my sister's best friends. He, he is a guest judge starting next week on shark tank. Oh, wow. He's incredible. So, cool. he's so successful. He runs the Miami dolphins. He was Rudy Giuliani's press secretary, the youngest in history at age 26, his first day of work was September 11th. Oh my God. So we're going to talk about that. And then of course, getting the job on Shark Tank, but this guy slept on a mattress in his house with his mom who was ill. They, he came from abject poverty and now he's a guest judge on Shark Tank. He's had incredible success. So he's my feature interview. And then I had a girl who, um, is, is an actress, review the 90 day fiance tell all which is hysterical and then oh i have gosh. To, i just finished that yesterday <laughs> i have to go to a 90 day fiance mixer in la last night so my friend hillary and i are going to talk about what i saw that on your instagram what, what why was paul wearing his so that, that's the cooling vest that he wears in the amazon why so he did he bring to- it <laughs> I, I think he's kind of leaning into his weirdness okay it was funny. And then he had like hand sanitizer clipped to the side of the, oh of my the God. And then I'm thinking about adding a, another um, segment where this pop culture reporter, she writes about reality TV all the time, having her review an episode of Jersey shore. Cause I just think that that would be kind of nice. <laughs> but I'm always, there are lots of moving parts. So in the meantime, I've got, I, I need to arrange an interview with the watch what happens live hairdresser about a Netflix series called dancing queen. Okay. I've got um, uh, the the hairdresser to Jennifer Aniston and all these movie stars who 
who's going to review next week the Real Housewives of Orange County. Oh my I've got a UPS driver that I very <laughs> pain told me about in Virginia who is who loves the Real Housewives. So I'm going to have him watch a show. I have my childhood best friend watching Outdaughtered on TLC. I've got the girl that referred the 10,000th member of my Facebook group who's going to review a show. So there are tons of people that are I'm working on all week farming out shows that they need to watch that we can discuss on the show. Yeah. And how do you do cuz you do this all yourself, right? Yeah, I'm a one man band. It's 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 a lot of work, but it's so fun and that's why I don't care. Right. If it, I love it. Yeah, if it was something else, if I had to go work in the coal mine, I'd probably be bitching <laughs> a lot more, but Right. I, I really love all these shows and I'm fascinated by the shows and I and quite honestly, a lot of the feature interviews of people on reality shows have been really interesting for me. I've been able to talk with people from shows that were really monumental in my, my adolescence or my younghood. And I get to talk to them and catch up with them and learn more about them. I get to talk to producers about the shows they create and how they edit storylines. It's really been quite interesting. And last night I went to that event for TLC and got to talk to a network executive. And he really said how influential podcasts have become, how it's really quite exciting for them, how podcasts can influence a whole new group of listeners. For sure. For sure. Yeah. I started watching 90 day because you, you were talking about it. And that's so, oh you know so, so that's cool. what I was thinking of I was thinking of I was thinking about your interview with Jesse not Paul sorry Aaron had the interview with Paul but when you were interviewing Jesse from 90 Day Fiance and I come from a psychology background because I studied child psychology and um in college and the that's what I think why I like your interviews I think are much like d- deeper like I think you come from a much more I don't know, like a, yeah, like a psychological point of view. Like you almost try to get deep down in there, like with your interview with Jesse, when you were saying like, something about like, well, do you think that was, I don't think you said gaslighting, but something about the interaction between he and Darcy. And that's not like a fluff interview, you know, so to actually get him to kind of, if he can be self-aware and kind of like get in there. And there was actually a teeny part of me. I remember I was doing laundry when I was listening to it. There was a teeny part of me that actually felt like compassion for him. And yeah, I was well, like, I you know what? I actually, he, maybe he's not a total asshole. <laughs> like, I do think that there's a part of him that is really kind. And that's clearly the, the part of him that she fell in love with. I right. talked to her last night at that event. And see, yeah. And she did say, yeah, there's a part of me that really loved him. And I, she said he was much different off camera. Yeah, I can and see that. part of it is gaslighting. You know, she would say off camera, he would allude to his interest in marrying her and being a stepfather. So then they're on camera and then she looks like a jackass because she keeps talking about, well, well we're married. Right. And it made her look, he made her look like. She was desperate to marry him and he didn't share those feelings when, in fact, cameras were put away. He was saying all those things. So I do think um, there is a part of him that really did probably – I think he was gaslighting her. But I do also think there was a part of him that did think about a future with her. But Mm -hmm. the fact that he is so much younger than her and they have this 
cultural difference, that's a hurdle that's almost impossible to jump over. Um, right. I do think my, my goal always is when I do an interview is that the person's listening walks away from it thinking, I got to know a side of that person that I didn't necessarily see on a TV show. For sure. And that may be that that person's an asshole. That, that may be that you find them a little bit more compassionate than the person that you saw on the show. It could be one of many things, but I want to get an aspect of that person that they did not capture on a television show. Yeah. Well, and I, th- I found him, I never really found him. Like, I didn't feel like he was someone that could kind of laugh at himself. And when you did that Amsterdam question. <laughs> he was cool about it. Yeah, he was like, he was in on it. And I was like, okay. So yeah, it does, it totally made me think of him. And and even at the, not the reunion, the, the tell-all at the end when he, you know, went over and gave her a hug. And he's like, you know, I, I do really wish the best for you. It's like, I was like, okay. He, it kind of came through a little bit, you know, that he wasn't just this persona of you know the model douche guy i do think and i have to say even watching from the sidelines last night is that the fame really gets into the head of these reality stars the person that i brought with me was my friend hillary who has been an actress for 30 something years i mean she's been in big movies and tv shows and she said it's so interesting to see fame from their perspective because you know she studied with an acting coach she's worked with publicists yeah and these people from you know main town usa they're just plucked from obscurity exactly yeah. and they don't they're not media trained mm-hmm. and they all of a sudden become hugely famous but for a very finite amount of time and then they're mm-hmm. spit back into the world there was a couple at the event who had been on the show and the publicist said, do you want to talk to these two? And I said, nah, no, I'm not really interested. <laughs> and my friend Hillary was laughing because she said they were sitting at the bar just looking at their phones. No one was interested in them. And I said, well, they were on the show like two seasons ago. Of course yeah. not. And she said, I just, it's really interesting because for that moment of time that they were on the show, I think they got really used to the fame. And that's probably a huge down for them. She said, actresses feel like that all the time. I get, she said, I get calls from my friends all the time who have been actresses for years and years and years who say, everybody's forgotten about me. I can't get roles anymore. So imagine what the person who appeared on 90 Day Fiance and all of a sudden had, you know, from 200 Instagram followers to 130,000. Right. And how they cope with the people that, comment on all their on their instagrams like you're a loser you're lower than life yeah and then they get all this free stuff when you know they make twenty six thousand dollars a year they get free stuff and then they're off the show and then no one contacts them anymore i think that's really difficult for those people to 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 deal with yeah for sure it's yeah like the the person that stands out in my mind the most like that in in my opinion is like a gretchen and slade that they just seem, yeah, it's like they're just dying to get back into that. And they, I think it's, yeah, it's like, it's, it's a form of addiction. Like once you have it, it's, it's hard to let it go. Fame is definitely a drug. It's, it's really interesting. And I don't know if I would have, I don't know how my perspective on all this would have been different 20 years ago. You know, it's kind of just, it's, I feel like I dipped my toe into it 
in terms of interviewing the people, I get like a bird's eye look into that, what their experience is. And then Mm -hmm. I'm also the, I'm the person watching the show too. So I get unique view at what these people go through in terms of fame and how they put everything out on the show. But then I also see how if they're on subsequent seasons, how they become so paranoid about not being asked back that they come up with storylines. And that's really sad too. Several of the people that I talked to last night, they were seemed rattled by the idea that they would not be asked to come back for another season of the show. Oh, wow. That's interesting. Yeah. They were like, well, we don't know. The network hasn't said anything. And yeah, there, it was almost panicked. Like, I don't know what did, what are we going to do with ourselves? We need to have, and then the other part of it that sort of fascinated me, me was I think the people on the bachelor and the real housewives are very good about monetizing yes. their positions on the show. Yes. But a show like that, which is was hugely popular, um, but not as, um, it's not like an aspirational living style kind of show. Right. So a couple of them, I, I said, well, what, you know, what kind of business deals are you taking advantage of? And they said, well, none. So they've just ripped up the, ripped their lives open. Yeah. All they're getting out of it is a bunch of Instagram followers. They're not right. monetizing it at all. And it just seems like every other show is doing that. You should do something. Yeah. It's interesting that they yeah. don't know how to do it. Yeah. Yeah. That is interesting. So did you think like at, when like prior to kids when you were working in DC and politics and stuff did you did you always know like I want to be a mom I want to have a lot of kids is is that something you always set out to do or the first time the first time I ever thought I want to be a mom quite honestly really thought about it was on September 11th 2001 my sister was working in one of the buildings um next to the world trade center because she was in the building. It was, de- it was the one, the, I think it was number seven world trade center. The one that was damaged, like half of it. Oh wow! She was in the building and I couldn't contact her for a couple hours. She was walking home. She saw people jump out of the buildings. It was awful. Oh my God. And she walked something like 70 blocks home that day. And I finally reached her. And then I remember in those hours before I could reach her, just thinking, I don't, I don't want to die because I lived in a military town at that time. And there was talk about the military bases being bombed. Mm. So I just remember thinking in those hours before I could find my sister, I don't want to die and not be a mom. And it sort of shook me to my core. Like it was just, it was a, it was a big moment. Like, so I, when I met my husband, I, when I met him, I just knew that, the minute I met him, I, I just looked at him and knew this is the guy I'm going to have a family with. I just knew it. And then we got married a couple of years later and we had our first child. I, I had her two years after we got married. And then I, the experience of having a baby was the most um, incredible experience. It's just for me personally, I can't speak to other people just to my, about myself, but I felt like my childhood, I always, there was like a deep hole in me like that. Like the, I felt always felt that unconditional love missing. Right. And then I have this beautiful baby 
And I look my when I first saw my husband holding my baby, I just thought, I don't know if there could be a better moment in someone's life. I don't know if I could love that baby and that man more than I can in this moment. I felt so deeply connected to him. Mm-hmm. And you look at the baby and you like it just filled so many holes. Right. And that you're raising this child together. I, I felt I had never felt such deep love as I did in that moment when I had the had her. And then, you know, I had the next baby two years later. And I just, I've always, I've loved every pregnancy. I love being pregnant. I just love kids. I love the idea of growing my family. For some people, they, a lot of people, they say, I, I had two kids and I knew that was it for me. Like our, yeah. our family complete. And I just never had that feeling. I always had that feeling of someone's missing from the party. And I always felt like I don't, as stressful as it can be with a newborn or with children, I always envision the Thanksgiving table of the future filled with people, the the chaos of the house, yeah. the excitement at a family wedding. So I, I, I don't really mind all the sleepless nights or the cuts and the bruises and the, and the diarrhea and all of that, because I know that I'm creating something. And for other people, maybe it's not that important to grow a big family because they probably have lots of cousins and yeah, they have lots of siblings of their own. But for me, I've always felt like I'm kind of building my family from the ground up. Like you, I have you've really, seen the big picture. Yeah, I have a really close relationship with my sister, but you know, I don't have like lots of cousins and I I don't see my mother. I barely speak to my dad. So it's really building from the ground up. Right. And do you think that that's been like, has it been a healing thing that like you've been able to heal that kind of deep wound in yourself from when you were a child? Yeah, I think that there's, there's ebbs and flows. I did notice that after I had my first, that as much as some of those hills, those holes were filled, some mm-hmm. wounds are now open because you're confronted what you lacked as a child. Totally. So the small act of giving your child for me was like giving my child a bath. It reminded me of the fact that I don't, I don't really have many memories of someone really taking care of my, my body. I mean, I would yeah. go to school sometimes with huge knots in my hair and no one took the time to brush my knots. And then I would go to school and, and the teachers would feel bad for me. And I had to go to Becky Merrill's house. And Mrs. Merrill had to take two hours to brush the knots out of my hair. So it's like little stuff like that, that you're confronted with what you lacked. And that can be really painful. Right. So I, mean, I started, how do you, how do you I started like not ther- get debilitated I, by that? Oh, you said, okay. I think I started to see a therapist. Maybe it was right after she was born. Okay. I said, I, I'm, I'm noticing that I'm, there are lots of childhood memories that are, that are coming up now that I have my own baby mm-hmm. and I really want to figure that out. And I also, I felt like I had been, had been suffering from a little bit of body dysmorphia and I wanted to get to the root of it. So I felt like therapy was really helpful. And I would always say to my therapist, I really want to get this in check because now I have a daughter. So right. I know what damage you can do if you don't get that in check. So that was enormously helpful. Um, and I did that right after, I think it was right after I had my first child. So I recommend that to people just, just helpful anyway, just to kind of get a hold, get a hold on, you know, who you are. Right. So I've always thought about that's, that's an article I would like to write about how children 
for someone who comes from a, a difficult childhood, how children can fill some holes, but they tend to rip open new ones and you have to navigate that. And that, that can sometimes be hard. I, yeah, I was just... Now I feel like I'm okay. Like I feel like I've walked out of that period of life where those, those moments are painful because I'm confronted with, you know, what I lacked. And now, um, now I, I'm into a more of a healing period. These things in life, right. you go through periods where you're angry, you're sad. And I'm now in that period where I'm a little bit more into the forgiveness period, which is good. Yeah. Yeah, it's a hard place to get to. <laughs> but very, very. Yeah, I was just talking about that with my therapist last week, actually. And I, 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 from being a teacher and a newborn care specialist and all this experience with kids I've had, I, one of my things is I, I want to wait a while to have kids just because I realize, as you know, it's a lot of work. And, um, and she said to me, she's, I was telling her, I'm like, okay, well, I need to do this, 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 and this, all these things before I, have kids. And I was like, you know, we need to buy a house and have a certain income and all this stuff. And she, no, was, like, she was like, that sounds like a lot of pressure that you put on yourself. And she was saying, you know, there's always, it's going to bring up all this stuff that you haven't, you know, fully dealt with yet. And then it's also going to heal stuff that you are still dealing with. And she's like, you're just going to, it's going to be up and down, but you're going to go through it. Well, also when I had my first child, my, my husband owns a software company. It was, it's like, you know, it's been, I keep saying, you know, <laughs> he, uh, it, it's been many, many years that we've had the software company, but it was in the early stages when I had my first child and he didn't take a salary. And I was the breadwinner the first year or first two years of my daughter's life. That was enormous pressure. Oh. I have a newborn oh, wow. and I'm yeah. so, you know, breadwinner, but I could have said, well, let's put this off until we're in a better financial state or I'm going to feel less pressure, but right. you just can't plan those things. And you'll find that once you have that baby, you're going to wish that you had started earlier. You figure things out. Women are fantastic with just, um, with just figuring it out, multitasking. Yeah. I think that men, when men drag their feet about babies, it's because just like marriage, they want to feel financially secure. Mm -hmm. But the truth is everybody always figures out you rise to the occasion. Right. Right. That's true. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's right. And I like what you, it's interesting what you were saying about like the body dysmorphia and, and now that you have girls, as we were just talking about this on the podcast last week, because I was talking about my struggles with eating disorders and my mother was very, very rigid and there were definitely, you know, like this is, these are bad foods. These are good foods. If you eat an Oreo, you're going to get fat. And, you know, like I was in ballet and all these things and we were talking about like, how do you raise, especially girls and not completely mess them up about food and mm -hmm. their bodies and all that. I mean, do you make like a conscious effort to do anything or not do anything or do you just kind of like felt well, it out? I was, yeah, I just. I, I really emphasize the importance of being strong to the girls. It, mm -hmm. I, I don't want you to be skinny. People like skinny is skinny is, te I don't know. That's temporary. If you want to be strong, you'll live a very long life. Right. So I always talk about the importance of being active. That's really important. And also eating well, because eating well will, uh, will give you a longer life. So long, there's longe longevity to leading 
a healthy lifestyle. Right. So I talk more about that. And I also make sure I emphasize to them when I compliment them that the fact that they're beautiful, which they are, Mm -hmm. is not always the first thing I note about them. You know, you know, you know, Hayes, the thing that I love most about you is you're a curious person. You, you are curious about people in the world around you. And I really love and admire that about you. You know what I love about you, Hayes, is that you're a caring person. You care deeply about other people. And for that, I really admire you. You know what I love about Hayes, you, Hayes? I love that you have the most beautiful birthmark on your, on your face. So it's like, it's the way that you phrase things. Right. But so that a child does not feel like the thing that's most valuable about me is the way I look because your looks really start to fade, especially when you start having kids because they rip. <laughs> you. Uh, but I, you know, I've had friends that I've seen this happen to where their moms put such an emphasis on the way they look and then they have identity crisis at 30. You know, like who am I if I'm not the prettiest person in the room? Right. And that is just, I mean, no one, my mom, uh, one thing she always did say to me was there's always someone better than you in the room, which is a harsh, but it's true. Yeah. So, Little, you know, it's hard to get too big for your britches when you have that plane in the back of your mind. I mean, I make a joke in my stand-up that uh, I could win a gold medal, and my mom would still say, eh, "You know, there's someone probably better than you." <laughs> but it's true. But it's true. So yeah. you know, you can't like it's like the small town actress that comes to L.A. and thinks, "Right, I'm going to be the uh, I'm going to see my name in lights," and then she mm-hmm. shows up, and realizes everyone's beautiful. Right. We're all in our own way yeah that's yeah that's very true oh yeah um are you still there yes okay sorry my computer went like up and out to it um do your kids have a relationship with your parent with your mom and your stepmom um i don't have a stepmom my dad never married your stepdad and your mom who would marry that man um my (laughs) step died when I was 20 something years old. So they never, he was never in the picture. My mom, I see, um, every once in a while, my dad, I have not seen in many years, but I call from time to time. Uh, they know the stories about how crazy my dad is and they think it, my oldest thinks it's really funny. Uh, no, not really, but what, you know, what more can I do? Yeah. I'm always curious about that because I don't, I don't really have that great of a relationship with my parents. And I always wonder, like, how, what am I going to tell my kids, like, about, you know, that kind of stuff? You tell them that families are complicated and that, um, you know, relation. I say, you know, I said it again. <laughs> families are complicated and that you didn't, you you didn't have the greatest childhood, but that you're ensuring that, they are going to have a fantastic childhood and that they can talk to you about anything. Yeah. I like that. You should, you should be a therapist yourself. That could be your next career. (laughs) 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 Oh my gosh. Oh, well, thank you so much for talking to me. I really appreciate it. Who are you having on next on your podcast? So Friday's episode is Matt Higgins from Shark Tank. Okay. Okay. I might have a bonus episode with Dr. Paul Nassif from Real Housewives of Beverly Hills and from Botched. You were, he's famous for Botched. Of course, and ex of Adrian Malouf. Right. And then I also have, in the next two weeks, I have the producer of Keeping Up with the Kardashians, 
Okay. I have a producer of a bunch of shows on TV. I might be talking to a network executive who was involved with the Osbournes and Newlyweds. Oh, wow. Um, oh, and I, I'm working on having someone from Vanderpump Rules review an episode of 90 Day Fiance. Oh, my gosh. That would be amazing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that would be so funny. And then are you going to be back on Jenny's show, too, when The Bachelor comes back? Oh, yes. Okay, good. And I think I'm going to be there in studio in LA in three weeks. Oh, good. That's fine. Yeah. I love her. I love her. I love you on on her show. You guys are so funny. And yeah, the <laughs> Bachelor in Paradise this season was – I agree. If we could just have Bachelor in Paradise like nine months out of the year and The Bachelor just like three months out of the year, it oh, would – oh, my God. That would be amazing. I know. Um, so yeah, so your podcast is Reality Life with Kate Casey and your Facebook group, which I'm a part of is, it's the same name, right? Reality Life with Kate Casey Facebook group. Awesome. And what's your Instagram? Is it just Kate Casey? It's Kate Casey CA, like California. Got it. That's what it was. Yeah. I love your pictures on Instagram of the, like, satire of the celeb moms and your Kim Kardashian outfits and everything. Yeah. Same right. Same right. Yeah. Same right. Exactly. Yeah, that's so funny. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to do this. I really appreciate it. And um, yeah, we will hear from you soon. Okay, great. Thank you so much. Thank you. All right, guys. Well, that is going to do it for us today. Thank you again so much for listening. Please don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. Also, again, the contest we have going on is for the next 50 listeners who subscribe, rate, and review. All you have to do is send us a screenshot that you subscribe and a screenshot of your rating and review. Send that over to us in a DM on Instagram. We are at No Judgment Pod, and I will post the details for that below as well. Please follow us on Instagram. We are at No Judgment Pod, and we will see you next time. Bye.